Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai. And you are listening to Food Nonfiction, the incredible true stories behind food. This is the story of Nutella, or as many of you food buffs probably call it, Nutella. You should probably explain the Nutella-Nutella thing. Okay, so Ferrero, the company that makes Nutella, has actually spelled out the pronunciation of the brand name of this hazelnut chocolate spread as N-E-W-T-E-L-L-U-H. So, it's properly pronounced Nutella. But I just can't bring myself to say it like that for an entire episode. So from here onwards, we will be calling it what I'm used to, which is Nutella. To help us tell the story, we have Gigi Padovani, the author of the book Nutella World. I am a journalist from Italy. I was born uh, in Alba, in the south of Piemont, uh, near the hills where the hazelnuts uh, grow up. And uh, it, when I was a kid, uh, I smelled the flavor of Nutella. So I like very much Nutella. I like uh, to write books about uh, chocolate. Let's go all the way back to the early 1800s to the Napoleonic Wars. This was a set of massive conflicts between the French Empire and its allies and various European powers, most notably the United Kingdom. During the Napoleonic Wars, embargoes and blockades disrupted the trade of goods. According to Gigi Padovani, this led to imported foods becoming very expensive and limited, which led to creative substitutions for chocolate, such as recipes that included the partial replacement of cocoa beans with mixtures using hazelnuts. The important thing to take away from this is that, according to this story, this is when cocoa first met hazelnut. The influence of the Napoleonic Wars on the creation of the early Nutella-like recipes is debated. But here is an interesting tidbit for you. There is actually a 15-page booklet from Venice, which was published in 1813. When translated to English, the title was A Theoretical Practical Plan for the National Substitution of Chocolate. Basically, the booklet recommended that recipes should use native species to partially replace cocoa beans, which are imported from South America. But then to still use cocoa in smaller amounts to give the final product a semblance of being made with the usual proportion of cocoa. In fact, the booklet provided a recipe that one could use to substitute cocoa. It was a mixture of almonds, lupines, corn, powdered cinnamon, vanilla, and sugar. Here's the kicker. In the recipe, you could also substitute the almonds with hazelnuts. Okay, moving on in the timeline. Gianduja uh, is a mixture from which both the Gianduyotto and the sweet creams like Nutella are born. Caffarel, the company that took the Gianduja paste and formed it into the popular product called Gianduyotto, which is basically Gianduja formed into the shape of an upturned boat, by the way, says they created the first cocoa and hazelnut dough in 1852, then sold it as Gianduyotto in 1865. Okay, before we move on from this foggy part of the story, 
The last thing you should know here is that the names Janduya and Jandioto both come from the name of a traditional Piedmont mask representing a jovial character. The name Janduya is a shortened version of the Piedmontese name Jean de la Duya, which can be translated to something like John of the Jug. So far, we've talked about products that were precursors to Nutella. But now we're going to talk about the history of Nutella itself. Ah, it's a very interesting story because we, we can start from the father of Nutella. That was Pietro Ferrero, a pastry chef, owner of a sweet shop from, uh, we say, 1946 in Alba, a small town in the, south, in the south of Piemont where I was born. And in a cold day, uh, after the Second World, he had the right idea to add coconut butter to soften the dough made of hazelnut, sugar and cocoa. This he called Gianduyot. Pietro had learned to become a confectioner in the town Dogliani. His younger brother, Giovanni, joined an Italian military force before going on to work in sales. As Gigi mentioned, and as he detailed in his book, Pietro created the original version of Nutella after World War II. This was because chocolate was very expensive back then. Pietro knew that he had to make something delicious and luxurious, but less expensive. So that's why he created Jean Diot. This product was much thicker than the spreadable Nutella we know today. Later, in 1951, Michela Ferrero Pietro's son invented a soft chocolate dough that was sold in Italy as Super Crema, Super Cream the ancestor of Nutella. This was the beginning of the fortune of the Ferrero industry. As a family business, Michele Ferrero led the company after his father Pietro died of a heart attack in 1949. Michele created the more spreadable version of Jean Diot. This version was initially called Nus Creme, then called Super Crema. The genius of making the product more spreadable was that people could get the delicious flavor even with a very thin spread. You could use as little or as much as you could afford to. It was advertised as a product which provided a lot of calories for your money. For what would be around $25 today, you were getting over 5,000 calories. So it was popular amongst parents and kids alike. Quite adorably, small towns in the southern part of Italy started a service called Spreadfest. Basically, kids could bring a slice of bread to a milkman or a baker and get Nutella, back then called Super Crema, spread on top for a very small price equivalent to a few pennies. Super Crema was a huge success. So why did they change the name to Nutella? In 1962, there was a new law in Italy that forbade the selling or advertising of products with names that misleadingly implied things about the quality or nature of the product. So for a name like Super Crema, the super part of that name could get the company in trouble if the company couldn't come up with any objective proof that the product qualified as super. They needed a new name. So for the new name, the company realized that it needed to be a word that made sense internationally. They needed a word that could quickly let the consumer know what the product was, and it needed to be memorable and easy to say. They zoned in on the word nut, which is noose in German. 
1964 for an international launch of a new brand naming for the hazelnut trade, uh, there were lots of meetings and counter discussions, but Ferrero wanted to link the new name to hazelnut. The focus had to be on Nocciola in Italian, Noisette in French, Hazelnut in Dutch. Some people put forward a range of new proposals, Nuzzi, Nosli, Nutosa, Nutilla. As always, the final decision lay with uh, Signor Michele, Mr. Michele Ferrero, who finally came up with the winning idea while he was in Frankfurt in Germany. After a late evening walk, uh, Michele went back to the hotel and said to his wife, Maria Franca, what do you think about Nutella? I like the way it sounds. Let's see if other people like it too. But if, as you know, it was a big success all over the world. They landed on the name Nutella. So the reason why we here at Food Nonfiction think that Nutella is supposed to be pronounced Nutella is simply that the origin of the word is an international one. But hey, it's just a thought. So there you have it. The origin of the product and the name of our beloved Nutella or Nutella. How is Nutella made today? Ah, uh, it's, uh, it's a little secret, you know? you know, it's not so easy to have the real recipe, but on the label you have the ingredients. The heart of the recipe uh, is a manteca, a term used in cooking to indicate a mixture of soft or fat substances with a creamy consistency, or in other words, a hazelnut, hazelnut puree that is tossed using special devices. So, Fakri, what's been happening? I've been freezing. Like, I am so cold here in Ontario. Oh no. What, like, how much snow has there been? Oh, like, it feels like there's more snow than there's not. The other day I was walking home from work and it was so cold that every time I blinked, my eyelashes froze together. <laughs> like, I didn't even know that was a possibility. Wow. <laughs> I just, do you remember that scene in the Temple Grandin movie? And for our listeners, if you aren't sure who Temple Grandin is, please listen to episode 49. You'll, uh, you'll be glad you did. The introductory scene to... Temple Grandin's movie. She's getting off an airplane in Arizona, and as the um, as the heat hits her, she has this horrified, disgusted look on her face, and she just yells at everyone, "You people live here!" Yeah, okay, I remember that. So it's the opposite of that. I want to yell that at everyone here. Every time I'm freezing, I just want to ask, have you never been to the West Coast? Do you not know that better exists? Why would you suffer here? Like, your face hurts for three months of the year here. Why do people do this to themselves, Lillian? I've been hoping that it wouldn't snow at all, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I've been hoping that with you. But in Ontario, that's not a reasonable thing to hope for. <laughs> and to all the people that are like, snow is the best. How can you not want it to snow when it's Christmas? I have a really old dog. And when that snow piles up, it is really hard for him to walk and go to the bathroom. So that's why I'm just terrified of snow. Yeah, and his poor little, he's so short. Yeah, he's too short. He'll just stink, like sink right in. Yeah, this California girl is not built for this. I that's mean, true. we're talking, 
it was negative 18 here the other day, which for our American listeners is zero degrees Fahrenheit. I have never been in anything that cold in my entire life. I'm wearing tights and scarves and multiple sweaters and multiple layers. I even wore snow pants the other day to walk to work. And it's just such a production to leave the house every day. Like you have to put on layer after layer. And then when you finally get to work or where you're going, you're super hot because once you get indoors, it's a reasonable temperature. So then you have to trudge to the bathroom so you can take off all the extra layers and go about your day. It just, it's exhausting. And I don't understand why people do this to themselves if they could be living on the West Coast. Job opportunities. (laughs) I know, that's why I'm here, but... It's it's a two-year position. You know what might help is buying just everything in fleece. It's warm instantly when you put it on. Like You don't need to use your body heat to warm up the shirt, which is then going to warm you back up. It's just warm, period. I love fleece. Like I will, I have a onesie that's completely made out of fleece. And even now when it's snowing and in the middle of the night when I have to take the dog out, I just put that on and guaranteed I'm warm enough. It's crazy. I can so picture you and your little onesie out in the middle of the night with Taffy. That's so cute. (laughs) I always just assume that no one's going to be around. (laughs) Well, that's our episode for this week, Food Buffs. We hope you enjoyed the tasty history of Nutella. And we hope that if you like this episode and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe and leave us a review. We love reading the reviews and they're actually really helpful to help us get the podcast out there and have more eyes or ears on it. So thank you very much and happy holidays. Bye.